Welcome back to the Hemingway List, Buddenbrooks, Book 3, Chapter 13. Wait, are they really betrothed? Kind of just kind of came out of nowhere and, I don't know, didn't really make sense. She was flicking through this family book and then boom, I'm going to get married to this weirdo. Tech Riffick said, I'm fascinated with this chapter, Tony reading the family chronicle and seeing it in a new light, she is struck by the history and the future, the weight of it, the consequences of it, she conforms and becomes part of the links in the chain that has, become, that has come before her and the ones to come. She is not the one that is going to strike out on her own and forge her own life, I wonder who will. Perhaps the family needs to degrade further before such a person emerges. Tony writing in her own fate into the book was a really sad moment from the infinite possibilities of her life taking shape. The shape she chooses is a very narrow and circumscribed one and perhaps as many of us suspect it's not going to achieve the revitalization of the family fortune that she and her father thinks it will. Swims at the moment. She said, I find Tony's impulsive action both visceral and poignant. I'm afraid she is destined for unhappiness. Well, so much for the, for Tony's broken heart. The telling line, he, Grunlich, regarded her with little more than the air of a satisfied owner. Eek. Um, Jan Brunt said, how very sad. I can't help but think that Tony is in for some hard times as the hungry 40s grind on. That's the European potato failure, apparently. Uh according to wiki summarized bot it was a food crisis caused by the potato blight that struck northern and western europe in the mid 40s so yeah it's hard times laura Weistich said i feel like we have we should have almost seen this coming pride has certainly been the most important value for tony smart of her father to figure out that leaving the book there would convince her you know, I had this feeling that this is what was going to happen. Not the book thing, not in this way, but just that she would kind of just cave and be like, okay, you know what, screw it, I'll marry him. I had a feeling, and how awful. Let's read chapter 14 and see if it gets more awful. You know, I'm sure this, as a decline of a family, it's bound to. I entirely agree with you, my good friend. This important matter must be settled. In short, then, the usual dowry of... <clears throat> excuse me. A young girl of our family is 70,000 marks. Her Grunlich cast at his future father-in-law a shrewd, calculating glance, the glance of the genuine man of business. As a matter of fact, he said, and this matter of fact was of precisely the same length as his left-hand whisker which he was drawing reflectively through his fingers. He let go of the end just as the of fact was finished. You know, my honoured father, he began again, the deep respect I have for traditions and principles only, in the present case, is not this consideration for the tradition a little exaggerated? A business increase, a family prospers, in short, conditions change and improve. My good friend, said the consul, you see in me a fair-dealing merchant. You, 
have not let me finish, or you would have heard that I am ready and willing to meet you in the circumstances and add 10,000 marks to the 70,000 without more ado. 80,000 then, said Herr Grunich, making motions with his mouth as though to say not too much, but it will do. Thus they came to an affectionate settlement. The consul jingled his keys like a man satisfied as he got up. And in fact his satisfaction was justified, for it was only with the 80,000 marks that they had arrived at the dowry traditional in the family. Herr Grunlich now said goodbye and departed from Hamburg. Tony, as yet realised but little of her new estate. She still went to dances at the Mollendorps, Kistenmarkers and Langholz, and in her own home she skated on the Berg field and the meadows of the Trave and permitted the attentions of the young gentlemen of the town. In the middle of October she went to the betrothal feast at the Mollendorps for the oldest son of the house and Juliet Hangenstrom. Tom, she said, I won't go, it's disgusting. But she went and enjoyed herself hugely. And as for the rest, by the entry with the pen in the family history book, she had won the privilege of going with the Frau Consul or alone into all the shops in town and making purchases in a grand style for her her trousseau, trousseau. It was to be a brilliant trousseau. Two seamstresses sat all day in the breakfast room window, sewing, embroidering, monograms, and eating quantities of house bread and green cheese. Is the linen come from Lentfor, Mama? No, but here are two dozen tea serviettes. That is nice, but he promised it by this afternoon. My goodness, the sheets still have to be hemmed. Mamsel Bitulich wants to know about the lace for the pillowcase, Ida. It is in the right-hand cupboard in the entry, Tony, my child. Line, you could go yourself, my dear. Oh, if I'm marrying for the privilege of running up and downstairs. Have you made up your mind yet about the material for the wedding dress, Tony? Moray, antique, Mama. I won't marry without moray, antique. So passed October and November. At Christmas time, Herr Grunlich appeared to spend Christmas in the Woodenbrook family circle and also to take part in the celebration at the Krogers. His conduct towards his bride showed all the delicacy one would have expected from him. No unnecessary formality, no importunity, no tactless tenderness. A light, discreet kiss upon the forehead in the presence of the parents sealed the betrothal. Tony sometimes puzzled over this, the least in the world. Why, she wondered, did his present happiness seem not quite commensurate with the despair into which her refusal had thrown him? He regarded her with the air of a satisfied satisfied possessor. Now and then, indeed, if they happened to be alone, a jesting and teasing mood seemed to overcome him. Once he attempted to fall on his knees and approach his whiskers to her face, while he asked in a voice apparently trembling with joy, Have I indeed captured you? Have I won you for my own? To which Tony answered, You are forgetting yourself, and got away with all possible speed. Soon after the holidays, Herr Grunlich went back to Hamburg, for his flourishing business demanded his personal attention, and the Buddenbrooks agreed with him that Tony had had time enough before the betrothal to make his acquaintance. The question of a house was quickly arranged, 
Tony, who looked forward to extravagantly to life in a large city, had expressed the wish to settle in Hamburg itself, and indeed in the Spittelstrasse, where her Grunlich's office was. But the bridegroom, by manly persistence, won her over to the purchase of a villa outside the city near Eamsbuttel, a romantic and retired spot. An ideal nest for a newlywed pair, Procul Negotis. Ah, he had not yet forgotten quite all his Latin. Thus December passed, and at the beginning of the year 46, the wedding was celebrated. There was a splendid wedding feast, to which half the town was bidden. Tony's friends, among them Armgard von Schilling, who arrived in a towering coach, danced with Tom's and Christian's friends, among them Andreas Gieske, Giseki, son of the fire commissioner and now studiosus juris, also Stefan and Edward Kistenmacher of Kistenmacher and Son. They danced in the dining room and the hall, which had been strewn with tail for the occasion. Among the liveliest of the lively was Consul Peter Dolman. He got hold of all the earthenware crocks he could find and broke them on the flags of the big passage. Frau Sturt from the Balfounders Street had another opportunity to mingle in the society of the great, for it was she who helped Mademoiselle Jungmann and the two seamstresses to adjust Tony's toilet on the great day. She had, as God was her judge, never seen a more beautiful bride. Fat as she was, she went on her knees and with her eyes rolled up in admiration, fastened the myrtle twigs on the white moor, moir antique. This was in the breakfast room. Her Grunlich, in his long-skirted frock coat and silk waistcoat, waited at the door. His rosy face had a correct and serious expression. His wart was powdered and his gold-yellow whiskers carefully curled. Ew. Above, in the hall where the marriage was to take place, the family gathered a stately assemblage there sat the old Krogers, a little ailing both of them, but distinguished figures always. There was Consul Kroger with his sons Jürgen and Jacob, the latter having come from Hamburg like the De Champs. There were Gottfried Budenbrook and his wife, born stewing with their three offspring, Friedrich, Henriette and Fifi, none of whom was unfortunately likely to marry. There was the Mecklenburg branch, represented by Clothilde's father, her Bernard Buddenbrook, who had come in from Thankless, and looked like la- looked with large eyes at the signorial house of his rich relations. The relatives from Frankfort had contented themselves with sending presents. The journey was too arduous. In their place were the only guests not members of the family. Dr. Grabau, the family physician, and Mademoiselle Weichbrot, Tony's motherly friend, Sesame Weichbrot, with fresh ribbons on her cap over the side curls and a little black dress. Be happy, you good child, she said when Tony appeared at her Grunlich's side in the hall. She reached up and kissed her with a little explosion on the forehead. The family was satisfied with the bride. Tony looked pretty gay and at ease. If a little pale from excitement and tension, the hall had been decorated with flowers and an altar arranged on the right side. Pastor Colling 
of St. Mary's performed the service and laid special stress upon moderation. Everything went according to custom and arrangement. Tony brought out a hearty yes, and Herr Grunlich gave his little ahem beforehand to clear his throat. Afterward, everybody ate long and well. While the guests continued to eat in the salon with the pastor in the midst, the consul and his wife accompanied the young pair who had dressed for their journey out into the snowy, misty air, where the great travelling coach stood before the door, packed with boxes and bags. After Tony had expressed many times her conviction that she should soon be back again on a visit, and that they too would not delay long to come to Hamburg to see her, she climbed in good spirits into the coach and let herself be carefully wrapped up by the console in the warmer fur rug. Her husband took his place by her side. And Grunlich, said the console, the new laces are in the small satchel on top. You take a little under your overcoat, don't you? This excise, excise, one has to get around it the best one can. Farewell, 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 dear Tony. God bless you. You'll find good accommodation in Ahrensburg, won't you? asked the Frau Consul. Already reserved, my dear mamma, answered Herr Grunlich. Anton, Lean, Trine, and Sophie took leave of Mama Grunlich. The coach door was about to be slammed when Tony was overtaken by a sudden impulse. Despite all the trouble it took, she unwound her safe again from her wrappings, climbed ruthlessly over her Grunlich, who began to grumble and embraced her father with passion. Adieu, Papa. Adieu, my good Papa. And then she whispered softly, Are you satisfied with me? The consul pressed her without words to his heart, then put her from him and shook her hands with deep feeling. Now everything was ready. The coach door slammed. The coachman cracked his whip. The horses dashed away so that the coach windows rattled and Frau Consul let fly her little white handkerchief and the carriage rolling down the street, disappeared in the midst. The consul stood thoughtfully next to his wife, who drew her cloak about her shoulders with a graceful movement. There she goes, Betsy. Yes, Jean, the first to leave us. Do you think she is happy with him? Oh, Betsy, she is satisfied with herself, which is better. It is the most solid happiness we can have on this earth. They went back to their guests. All right, there we go. There's a chapter for you. It's done. Locked in. Yuck. Yuck. I don't like it. Poor little Tony. All right, have your say on the subreddit, and I'll see you tomorrow.